McCaffrey's going to get it. And he walks in. Touchdown, San Francisco. Here's Purdy looking, firing it into a caught. Ayuk, touchdown. And the ball came out. Ball is loose. Who's got it? The 49ers recover. And there it is. The 49ers are going to the Super Bowl. Makes Pick Sports Show. It's Monday, February 5th, 2024. That means a week from right now, we will either have our first NFL team to repeat as Super Bowl champions since 2005, or the San Francisco 49ers will be the world champs. Let's say hi to uh, Steve Mickelson from MixPicks.com. Two K's in Mix, two K's in Picks. Uh, MixPicks.com. Good morning, Steve. Good morning. You said at the beginning of the year, before the season started, it would be the Chiefs and the Niners in the Super Bowl, and you said the Niners were win. Uh, the Super Bowl. We're gonna we're gonna obviously spend a lot of time this week uh, building up to uh, the, the the Super Bowl. As of right now, Steve, are you still feeling confident about your pick? Absolutely. All right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna break down why uh, over the course of uh, the week. Uh, today, we do have to at some point we got to talk about uh, for the regionality of the show that we do why the Sacramento Kings fans are so pissed off over the uh, NBA All-Star uh, selections. And some things that we do have uh, an update on the uh, Joel Embiid uh, um, uh, injury uh, as well. But a lot, of, a lot of football to talk about. I don't know if this qualifies as breaking news, Steve, but it's the, it's the most recent thing that every sports outlet is uh, reporting. But, oh, by the way, you can email us, red at radradio.com, uh, or call 888-989-9811. Uh, you remember Le'Veon Bell? Remember that name? Uh, yes. Okay. He was a running back uh, who uh, hasn't played in the NFL since 2021. Uh, I, I I did not remember he he's embarked on a boxing career. I guess he he bought he boxed uh, Adrian Peterson uh, recently. Uh, well, he he has announced uh, that at 32 years old he is training to come back to the uh, NFL. He's made it clear that he would only want to play for the Steelers. Of course, the Steelers. Uh, have two running backs under contract, Najee Harris and Jalen Warren. They seem to be pretty happy with them. There's no indication that they'd want him back. He had that really ugly exit from the, the Steelers in 2018. I, I, I don't know if this is news, as I said, Steve, but I saw it. It was it was everybody's putting it on the top of their NFL banner. I thought I'd throw it out there to get us started this morning. Yeah, he hasn't played, I believe, since 2021. I found it interesting that he says he'll only play for the Steelers with Najee Harris and Jalen Warren as their running backs. I really don't see him, you know, cracking the top two there. Maybe he can be a third running back in that rotation. But if you're serious about coming back to the NFL, don't you want to leave your options open? And I'll play for any team willing to give me a shot, especially when I haven't played in several years. And I really haven't been productive since, what, like 2018, 2019, somewhere in there. Uh, so, you know, it's making news. I just really can't take him seriously, though, when he says, I only want to come back and play for the Steelers. Yeah, it's it's very limiting, especially, as I said, because of the way that relationship ended. I, I know Bell apologized to the Steeler fans after all that, but I don't know if the franchise has an interest in going backwards five years in, in that case. Weird. Uh, let's wrap up the, the coaching carousel as we know it for now. Weird turn of events. We were just talking on Friday. All indications were that the Raiders were going to be hiring former um, Arizona Cardinals coach uh, Cliff Kingsbury to be the offensive coordinator. Then on Saturday, uh, he pulled himself out of uh, of the running. The report was that the contract negotiations fell apart, and just like that, the Washington Commanders swooped in and hired K Cliff Kingsbury to be their offensive coordinator, which the way we've been talking about this, Steve, with Dan Quinn, defensive guy as your head coach, and the Commanders having the number two pick, we said from the beginning, the the most important hire for Dan Quinn will be 
who his offensive coordinator is. And it has to be somebody who can help pick that, that number two pick. We presume the commanders are going to pick a quarterback and then mold a young quarterback. And Kingsbury, you know, he just spent this fall at USC as the quarterback's coach with Caleb Williams. I, I don't, I don't know that Caleb's going to be around for the second pick, but he also drafted uh, Kyle Murray, Kyler Murray at, uh, at, at Arizona. And at Texas Tech, he worked with both Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield. So this, I don't have a lot of hope for the commanders, but this seems like a pretty smart hire. I think it was a really good hire. I'm curious what happened with the negotiations with the Raiders yeah. because everything we had heard, it was pretty much a done deal. He was signing the contract. I don't know if the commanders offered more money or if he looked at it and said, look, it's a better opportunity in Washington. One, I get the number two pick so I can help pick what quarterback I want to, you know, oversee there as opposed to the Raiders, you know, A, no Connell. Uh, they're going to have to go get a quarterback, but they don't have their choices of quarterbacks. And the second part of that whole thing is, is looking at the divisions with Harbaugh. Now with the chargers, you have Sean Payton with the Broncos. You still got Andy Reed with the chiefs. How good are the Raiders really going to be over the next couple of years? Because that is a really difficult division. And, and I'm not, you know, saying the NFC East is, you know, easy, they got the Cowboys, they got the Eagles, but we don't know what's going on with Sirianni. We've all been wondering when's McCarthy going to get fired in Dallas. So if you had to pick a spot where you would believe you could be more successful, I think your opportunity is in Washington to be more successful than being in that AFC Western division. Well, and you broke down by by coaches uh, in the AFC West. You've also got to deal with, uh, even though I know we're talking about an offensive coordinator position, but... You, you've got Mahomes, you've got Herbert, now under the tutelage of Harbaugh. We don't know exactly what Denver's going to wind up doing at quarterback. And, and you know this stuff goes on. You know that even though we were told it was a done deal in Vegas, somebody's on the phone with Kingsbury uh, from Washington saying, are you sure? You sure you don't want to? And then, you know, that, that whole thing. I didn't buy that for a second. All oh, negotiations broke down. Um, but Kingsbury winds up and lands on in, in Washington, and the Raiders— uh, it's confirmed, uh, has have hired Luke Getze as their next offensive coordinator. He was fired by the Bears last month. Raiders coach Antonio Pierce wants a run-heavy offense, as does the general manager, the, the guy who used to be doing the Chargers, Tom Telesco. Bears led the NFL in rushing in 2022, finished second this season, although they were last in passing offense. They averaged 21.2 points per game. I'm not sure how much of that was on uh, was on uh, uh, Getze. Uh, there was also this intriguing plot twist as we talk about the draft where obviously Getze knows the Bears quarterback, Justin Fields. Well, the Bears have the number one pick thanks to having Carolina's pick. And then what, the number three or four or five or something like that. And then, and obviously Fields might be a, a trade target if they're going to pick a quarterback because obviously the Raiders are done with Garoppolo. We all know that. Uh, so I, I don't, what do you make of that, Steve? I was surprised by that hire. I mean, to me, it was a big downgrade from Cliff Kingsbury to Getze. Uh, you know, we haven't been impressed with the Bears offense for several years. Kind of surprises me a little bit that the offensive coordinator with the Bears is the guy you're targeting in this position. Uh, you know, it, it'll, it remains to be seen what exactly is going to happen there. Justin Fields is interesting to me because you have to believe the bears are going to go out and draft a quarterback, which means Justin Fields, days with the bears are over. 
But what are the Bears going to be asking? Is anyone really going to give up a first-round draft pick for Fields? I don't believe so. You know, I've heard rumors of anywhere from a second-round pick to a fourth-round pick is where it's going to go. But, you know, if I'm the Raiders and I can get Justin Fields for a fourth-round pick, I think I'd make that trade today just to give it a shot and let's see what we can make out of him. Uh, this is uh, we've, the the, uh, the shades of Peyton Manning, Eli Manning. Well, John Elway was the first one, I think. Uh, we got an email here uh, from uh, Adam, R-A-D at radradio.com. says, hey, Rob, I believe I heard over the weekend that Caleb Williams said he doesn't want to play in Chicago and that the Commanders was one of his choices. Any coincidence with Kingsbury getting drafted? I know that I saw that uh, – Caleb did come out and he congratulated uh, Kingsbury, who he's been working with, as I said, uh, all season. And uh, I do see that uh, uh, Caleb is asking, yeah, it looks like that he doesn't want to play for the for Chicago. I don't have the whole story. I don't know if you saw that, Steve, if you have the whole story. But it's, it seems like that's that that's interesting. Yeah, I think that's just kind of negotiating type of thing. Who knows? Maybe Jim Harbaugh's uh, prediction of J.J. McCarthy going first overall. Uh might come true. I don't believe it will in any case. I don't think McCarthy will be in the top three or four quarterbacks drafted, let alone number one in the in the draft. But, you know, Caleb Williams, I don't blame him. I wouldn't want to be going to Chicago either. Not sure I'm a huge fan of going to Washington, but they have a new ownership, so you have to give Washington, you know, a chance here. Daniel Snyder was a disaster with that franchise. Yeah. So hopefully they will get a clean start and uh, move that franchise in the right direction. I just don't see Caleb Williams sliding to number two. Uh, a couple other emails, RAD at radradio.com. Greg wrote in, says, I think Kingsbury wants to coach Caleb Williams and the commanders are going to draft him. And Chicago will go with Marvin Harrison Jr. with the first pick. And then the commanders will get Caleb Williams or the commanders will trade up with the Bears for the number one pick and get Williams. I could see that if that's really the route they want to go and they want to go with, you know, Marvin Harrison Jr., who is an unbelievable wide receiver, but you're not taking a wide receiver with the first pick in the draft. The only way that would happen would be to trade down. If I'm the Bears, I, you know, and you feel Justin Fields is your quarterback, it makes sense. Trade it down to two, take Washington, get, you know, another number one pick or whatever else you're going to get. And then to me, I would trade down a couple of more slots and go build more assets and, you know, try to build my entire team because the Bears need a lot of help. One or two players are not going to save this franchise at this time. Obviously, we got months before the NFL draft. It's always fun, though, to start thinking about this stuff because you could look at it the other way. They, they may not think that Justin Fields is their quarterback mm -hmm. in the future, but if they know for sure – that they're going to have to go through this Caleb Williams, I don't want to play for Chicago crap, then maybe they target somebody else for quarterback. And not a bad idea to to just flip-flop maybe with, with Washington. You can still trade the number two pick because at that point you, you get something else from Washington. Washington gets Caleb Williams, and the Bears get not only an opportunity to pick more probably, but more draft picks or whatever. If they want Marvin Harrison Jr. that bad, who a lot of people believe is the best player in the draft, as you said, he's going to be around for a little while. I don't know how far he's going to drop, but the Bears could finagle that. I, that I I don't see – what was the other uh, option? I don't see that the, the – I'm with you, Steve. I don't see the Bears using the number one pick on Marvin Harrison Jr., but I do see a potential trade to get out of there and open up the spot for the commanders to take Caleb Williams. And I think that is only if they're sold to Justin Fields is their quarterback going forward. If I'm the Bears and Justin Fields is not my quarterback – I'm not trading the first pick. I'm taking the 
the player that I feel is best for my organization. I don't have to sit and worry about, oh, is the team in front of me going to take my guy? Here it is. I have it. I'm not trading out. I'm taking that player. And if it's not Justin Fields, I believe the Bears will take Caleb Williams. Okay, but why not? Why wouldn't you, if you're sitting there in the Bears draft room right now, why wouldn't you? Again, this presumes that this drumbeat's going to get louder. Why wouldn't you go, guys, Caleb doesn't want to come here. We're going to have a massive problem. He's going he's gonna to John Elway us. Look, let's just flip with Washington. They're going to take Caleb, and we're going to take whoever they think the second-best quarterback is and just avoid the drama. I'm not avoiding the drama. If that's my guy, that's the guy I'm taking. And you know what? I just got to find a way to make him feel welcome in Chicago and and that he's wanted and wants to be there. And, you know, we'll get him heated benches if that's what it takes because it's so cold in Chicago, you know. But uh, I think it's just a ploy. And, again, the number one draft pick in the in the draft only happens to one player every year. There are bragging rights to that. I was the first overall pick versus I was the second overall pick. I think there's a little ego here too. And I think Caleb Williams would settle for being drafted by the bears. You know, he's still going to get his money. He'll get more money being the number one pick as opposed to the number two pick. So I, I think it's a ploy coming out that, Hey, maybe the bears need to look elsewhere and try to pick your landing spot. I just don't see it happen. Lots of emails coming in, rad at radradio.com. Uh, we got this one from Michael. Uh, we were talking about uh, negotiations broke down on Saturday between Cliff Kingsbury and uh, the Raiders, so that's how he wound up in Washington, which is why we're talking about Washington in the first-round pick. And we were, we were wanting more. What in the world was that sound? We were wanting more information uh, about what the how the negotiations broke down. Um, and so Michael says Adam Schefter was reporting on uh, ESPN that the Raiders only wanted to give him a two-year contract and the commanders offered a longer one. So Shefty says it was that was the, uh, the issue. Um, ben Johnson, Detroit Lions offensive coordinator. A few more uh, notes here about coordinators and coaches. Uh, he, we all thought he was going to land a job. He ended up staying in Detroit. And now we're getting some more details uh, about the drama surrounding uh, his job search. ESPN reported over the weekend that Johnson had issues with Washington commanders' ownership after interviewing with them. Remember that he 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 agreed to a second interview while the commander's brass was on the way to Detroit to interview him. That's when he said, nope, I'm out. I'm staying with Detroit. Um, according to ESPN, he considered the ownership group led by Philadelphia 76 owner Josh Harris, as well as Hall of Famer Magic Johnson to be, quote, basketball guys and believed they were overly confident about their football knowledge. And he just didn't want to have anything to do with them. I can understand that, you know, to tra- it's professional sports and there's X amount to it, but basketball is different than football. Uh, just like baseball is different as well. And you got to have confidence in that ownership group, the upper management. And if he met with them and just didn't feel comfortable, I don't blame him. And I'm not saying that because I'm a lions fan, but you have to be comfortable. If you're going to make that move, because if he becomes, you know, the head coach of that team, and is not successful, he's going to get fired. At which point, where does he land and where does how does his career continue? Right now, he is rock solid in Detroit. Next year, he should be one of the top candidates for any opening positions that happen again next year. And every year, there's seven to eight openings. So he's going to be one of the leading candidates. There, there's no reason to bail of your current situation if you're not 
completely satisfied with that ownership. And I don't know, by the way, if this came out as a as a reaction to that news or not. But they're on the same day. They were also reporting that Johnson didn't didn't interview well. Now that could just be the commander's ownership group saying, "Oh yeah, you're going to say that about us, but we'll say this about you." Um, but that was the other little thing. And speaking of palace intrigue uh, in the uh, in the coaching world, Jay Harbaugh, the son of uh, John Jim Harbaugh, who's now the coach of the Chargers, uh, had been expected to just follow his dad and be the uh, special teams coordinator. That's what he's been doing since 2017 at Michigan. He's actually been coaching with his dad or at Michigan for nine years. Um, he's 34 years old. And now the reports are that the head coach of Seattle, the Seahawks coach Mike McDonald, who worked with Harbaugh in 2021 when both were on the Wolverine staff, he's interested in hiring Jay to Seattle. I, I don't know anything about Jay as a coordinator. It's more of that family stuff. First of all, I, I, not knowing anything, I think it would be great for Jay to get away from his dad and do his own thing. I don't know if this matters at all or not, but I pulled it up for a quick discussion, Steve. Well, I, I agree with you. You know, I think it's good to see – Get away from that. Find out. Make your own name for yourself. Not the oh, well, your dad's son type of thing. Uh, and, and sorry, I'm jumping ahead of you here, but uh, Belichick's son is leaving the Patriots yeah. and going to be the defensive coordinator for the Washington Huskies. And and granted, Belichick doesn't have a job, but it's going to be great to see what he can do. You know, going to college football, being the defensive coordinator there for Washington. Yeah. So I, I'm excited to see. <laughs> you know, how he does as well. Um, I've got this email uh, from uh, Jason, uh, R-A-D at radradio.com, after the show on uh, Friday. We were, again, talking coaching and things like that. And um, uh, this was an interview. A lot of people were wondering because Jerry Jones with the Cowboys has said, we're all in this year, and McCarthy's my guy. Of course, Mike McCarthy's in the last year of his contract, and pretty much the betting money is that if McCarthy doesn't at least get to the Super Bowl, uh, he's out. And uh, we were wondering, is this, you know, what, what is Jerry? Is he looking? Is he setting things up? Then he made those comments. Well, I could work with Bill Belichick. There'd be no problem. And doesn't look like Belichick's going to land anywhere unless the rumor about Andy Reid retiring after the Super Bowl uh, is, has any uh, truth to it. But Jason went a different direction. Jason said, I haven't heard anyone talk about this. But do you guys think that Jerry Jones is giving McCarthy one more year to give Deion Sanders an extra season to get ready? For the NFL, although Dion has come out and said, I don't want anything to do with coaching in Dallas, but who knows? Dion goes where where God takes him, basically. Uh, Dion's going to be an interesting, you know, decision down the road. If mm -hmm. he continues to have the success he's had at Colorado and continues to be, you know, in the center of the media focus, I think down the road he's going to get a shot at the NFL. The Cowboys would be <laughs> an incredible landing spot. I think Dion could do a very good job with the Cowboys for Jerry Jones in the sense that I think that he could be more of the yes man and the media guy. Uh, I just think that if the Cowboys have the success with Jerry Jones and I still go back to Jimmy Johnson and who gets the credit, I'm not so sure that Jerry Jones wants to share that credit with Dion. If the Cowboys ever hired him and he went on to win the Super Bowl, oh. that might rub Jerry a little bit wrong. That is a couple of really big egos right there and a couple of people that love the camera. Um, and I, I do I, – I still love the idea. Look, I, I like – so far from what I see, I like uh, Antonio Pierce with the Raiders. I still love the idea of Dion being in Vegas if he's going to wind up in the NFL. I, I, But I don't – I mean, just to answer the email directly, I don't think that Jerry is plotting that far ahead – um, but it's a, it's a cool idea. This is the kind of thing that we like to have, uh, have fun with. Um, the, uh, the Chiefs and the Niners arrived in Vegas uh, last night, about 45 minutes apart 
from each other. As I mentioned at the top, the Patriots are uh, the last team to win back-to-back Super Bowls back in 2005. We got an email here from uh, Robert. It says, Rob and Steve, I'm a Bay Area listener. I love listening to the best sports talk show. That's you guys. Um, I was listening to the Bay Area Sports Station, and they just talk Niner talk. They had recently said that if Brock Purdy wins the Super Bowl, he should be paid. I don't know how contracts work, but isn't he on a rookie contract and can't get paid yet? I'm not even a Niner fan. I feel he deserves a payday just because he has taken the team to the Super Bowl. Uh, so wh- whether he wins or not, uh, he should be. I mean, I, I I haven't looked into the Purdy contract situation. If he wins the Super Bowl, he's gonna he's eventually going to get paid however they structure the deal, et cetera. So this is too far ahead for me, Steve, as a Niner fan. So maybe you've given it some thought because all I'm thinking about is the result of Sunday's game. Uh, you know, and I'd like to see Brock Purdy get paid. Maybe they give him some bonuses. But part of the advantage in the NFL is when you get a rookie quarterback who's very good on that rookie contract, you get the four years, you get to pick up a fifth-year option. But that's part of what helps make your team so much better because you're saving money on the quarterback position that all of these other teams are paying for, that $40, $50 million a year that you're able to use on other players to give your team the depth and the uh, you know the strength at several of the different skill positions and areas that you need. So I, I don't think that if they win it, they're going to immediately give Brock Purdy that contract because it takes away from everything else. Now they're not paying their defensive line. They're not paying the Christian McCaffrey's, the Debo Samuels, and these are players they have to pay as well. But I would like to see them get paid. And and one of the examples when I when I talk to friends is. Brock Purdy's making $870,000 a year. Mm-hmm. Arch Manning with the NI deal with the Texas Longhorns this last year to sit on the Texas Longhorns bench made $2.5 million from what I understand. So Arch Manning made three times what Brock Purdy did, not even playing college football really, while Brock Purdy takes the 49ers and has a chance to win the Super Bowl. That's also something you got to consider on these NIL deals now is when college players are making more than NFL players, it's going to affect the draft and where these players, because why leave college football if I can make more money playing college football than I can in the NFL draft? And, you know, and Purdy's backup, Sam Donald, Darnold makes more than, than Purdy does. But Robert's got a point. It's not like Pur- Purdy can do anything about it because of his status in the league and there is the, it's not look Lynch and Shanahan want to win multiple Super Bowls and uh they're they're going to have to you know meander their way as you said through the 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 cap space the the big rub on Purdy is that he's a game manager only former 49er best quarterback to ever play uh, the, the position for the team uh, Joe Montana was asked about Brock Purdy the game manager and said this Trust me it's coming the Joe Montana clip is coming, I promise. I think the thing I see is something that I think I figured out early on in my career was that what the offense is about, right? It wasn't about me. It was about getting the ball to the people who knew what to do with it because all I, I'm the mailman. I'm a, this doesn't belong to me. I want to get it to somebody that knows how to run, knows how to catch. And we had, especially late in my career, when you get guys like Jerry Rice, John Taylor, Brent Jones, Roger Craig, um, on down the line, all you got to do is get the ball to them. And and I think if you look at the weapons that Rock's working with, he's figured that offense out. He understands what his position is. He doesn't try to make 
a big play. He knows when that chance will come and when he needs to do it. But in most cases, it's okay to punt. I got a pretty good defense, too. And that's when we had the same thing, right? That defense is pretty good. So, yeah, they're going to have to earn their money, too, at the same time. And, yeah, we're going to punt. And hopefully we don't punt too many times. But, you know, the defense, you got to, hey, you're up. Let's go. And um, I think that's probably the biggest thing that I've seen of him is, you know, real because he understands it, he's calm in there. He has a great presence. And, you know, he's not trying to knock you out with a football. You know, he delivers a great catchable ball. I and mean, you talk to these guys and, and they'll tell you, you know, the ball, you know, very rare does it come in there harder than it's supposed to. And so. That's Joe Montana, a former 49er great. Sit on that for a moment there, Steve, because Joe referred to uh, the Niner defense, which Kyle Shanahan has called out in terms of the Super Bowl. So we'll we'll come back to both the comments about Brock Purdy. Sounds like to me like Montana's a fan. I, I do love his line. Uh, Montana says, I'm just the mailman. This doesn't belong to me. I got to get it out. So we'll talk about his comments about Purdy and the Niner defense and what Kyle Shanahan said as we head towards Super Bowl Sunday this Sunday. Mix Picks. The Mix Pick Sports Show. Let's go! Call the Mix Pick Sports Show at 888-989-9811. All right, Steve, so we just played the clip of uh, Joe Montana last week uh, talking about uh, Brock Purdy as a game manager. It sounded to me like he was saying, hey, look, that's the gig. And, and it's and, and Get the ball out of your hand. Get it to the receiver. And, and, and you kept saying, I got a great defense. Well... In the aftermath of the NFC Championship game against your Detroit Lions after watching the tape, Kyle Shanahan and defensive coordinator Steve Wilkes came out on Friday and said the defense was unacceptable, something we had seen against the Packers and towards the end of the season as well. That Christmas game against the Ravens was nothing to brag about. Uh, Shanahan pointed to two or three plays in the game that he said were, quote, not our culture, which is rooted in the ethos of past defense coordinators uh, who preached an all-gas, no-breaks mentality and swarming opposing ball carriers so pick which one you want to start with montana on purdy or montana on purdy on the defense as we get closer to the super bowl and on purdy because i'm with the group that brock purdy just gets unfair criticism he is the game manager he's doing what the 49ers offense is asking him to do as joe montana said he's the mailman he needs to stay on script and this is the offense he does a great job with that. And the thing about it is being a game manager isn't necessarily to me, it isn't a bad thing. Being a game manager is understanding what your offense is trying to do and putting your offense in the best chances to succeed. The difference between being a game manager and then becoming a one of the top quarterbacks in the league is when that game plan falls apart, are you still able to pick up that offense, make some changes and be successful at that Brock Purdy to this point has shown for the most part, he's able to do that, which to me makes him one of the better quarterbacks in the league. You have a Josh Allen, all the talent in the world and nobody has ever called him a game manager because, but he just plays strictly off of his talent and yet, are they playing in the Super Bowl? <laughs> no, they're not. Does every year they, when they hit the tough competition in the postseason, do they continue to advance? No, they do not. So do you really want the quarterback that just at-libs it on the field and I have so much talent, I'm going to do what I want? 
Or do you want the person who's going to be the game manager, put your offense in a position to succeed, understand your team's liabilities, but when it becomes crunch time and everything breaks down, remains calm and is able to make those big plays to continue to find ways for your team to win? To me, that's the better quarterback not the most athletic quarterback. And that's what Brock Purdy just isn't getting enough credit for when he knows the offense and he's able to make those plays when he has to. You don't have to make the play 70 times a game. You just got three or four crucial times that you have to make the play, and Brock Purdy has almost always been able to make that play. And that is what tips me in that direction is just the last two games that he won, the Packers and the Lions. Yes, it sucks that the Niners had to go down as a Niner fan, had to make it at the last minute. The two the two drives that Purdy engineered to put them up over the Packers and the Lions, he did it when he had to do it, and he did it almost flawlessly. I don't like that he threw in both games, he, he well, the Packer game more than Lion game, that he looked like a deer in the headlights um, for most of the game. But he did do it when it needed to be done. What I am concerned about is the reason he was so out of sorts in the Lions game is what Kyle Shanahan was talking about. The de- obviously the defense has to play better, especially against Patrick Mahomes. And just saying that, that they need to shape up after, by my count, four or five weeks of the Niners' defense going the wrong direction, that is what is going to, in my opinion, determine the, 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 the tone of the game on Sunday is that Niners' defense. Oh, I agree with you here. The 49ers have to be able to find a way to shut down the run. The part that just amazes me is the amount of money and talent they've invested in that defensive line to pressure the quarterback, to stop the Mm. run, and they've pretty much disappeared. I mean, you haven't seen it from the Chase Youngs, the Nick Moses, the Hargraves. These guys were brought in to be top, top players at their positions because they have been for most of their career and they're not getting the job done. That's the part that just stuns me about this 49ers team is the lack of production from that defensive line. I'm hoping they figure it out and they're able to attack the chiefs, get pressure with only rushing four guys to allow for that, you know, secondary to stay with the chiefs wide receivers. I still do like the 49ers in this spot, but that defense has to play much better because the Chiefs defense, which not only is one of the youngest defenses in the NFL, is the number two defense in the league. So the 49ers offense is not going to be a cakewalk against that Chiefs defense. And you have to have a pass rush against Patrick Mahomes, and you nailed it. You have to be able to do it with four on the front. Mm-hmm. And if and they can't, they haven't done it the last couple of weeks when they've had five in the box. If you can't rush four on Mahomes and give him all day long. The Niners' defense is going to have a long, long day. Here's the other fun thing. This just came out uh, moments ago. Uh, It was first reported by CBS. ESPN's Adam Schefter has confirmed that the 49ers' practice facility at UNLV uh, are meeting with widespread disapproval from members of the organization. Oh, good. Here we go. Last year, remember this in Arizona? The slick track that led to the Chiefs and the Eagles struggling to find sure footing throughout the game. We're already worried about not the field, but the practice field that the Niners had. The NFL put in a sod field on top of field turf, started laying it just last week when they ordinarily require Super Bowl practice fields to meet certain standards in December. The NFL hardness score for fields averages 78. No field is less than 70. The 49ers are saying they consider the UNLV field in the 50s. 
and uh, they are the league is supposed to be. Oh, so they're saying already. The Niners are saying, "Oh, great, thanks for putting us on." Of course, the Chiefs are at the at the Raiders uh, training facility. No complaints from them yet. Yeah. Now, if I heard you right, they said that they put down the the grass on top of the turf. It says they put and, it a sod field on top of field turf. Yes. Yes, and, and that's one of the things. UNLV plays in Allegiant Stadium, but they play on turf. The Raiders play on the grass. They do not play on the same surface. So I find it interesting that they're practicing at UNLV's practice facility, which is going to be the turf because that's what they play on, and they attempted to put the grass on top of it. That's just got to be a mess unless you've been growing it for, you know, and they've known this. It should have been two to three months trying to get it prepared type of thing, Uh, but to me, that's not a fair, even facilities, you have the Raiders, beautiful facility and everything with their practice facility in Henderson. And, you know, I, I know that UNLV has upgraded and spent money on their football facilities, but I find it hard to believe the two are equally comparable. If, if, if the Niners or if this report is right, if the Niners are right, that it's in the fifties on the hardness level, as opposed to the set, that's a big discrepancy because this is one of those things that I think to, to a casual fan might sound, I mean, depending on who you're rooting for, it might sound like whining or it might sound like, oh, okay, not a big, that's, that could be a really big deal. This could be a big story by tomorrow. Uh, absolutely. And think about practicing. And I know most of this is walk through and they're not going to put the pads on all that much, but even trying to go at full speed and trying to get simulate some kind of game, you know, conditions on that kind of field, Man, it would be a shame if somebody suffered oh, an injury oh, due to this field, man. the practice field. You know, somebody blows a knee out or something like that. Man, that would really mess things up. Well, and you got you've got that, and because of that, I wonder. Depending on how dissatisfied they are, do the Niners come out and say because of that concern that Steve Mickelson just said, We're, we refuse. Do something else. Figure something out. And then you start to get into the whole, well, wait a minute. What do they do? What's the equity there? Uh, do they do they say, oh, okay, Chiefs, you have to share. You guys have to – do you got the Chiefs uh, – that could be a really – that could be we'll, – we'll watch that story. Uh, we got this email from Anna. We kind of talked about this last week. Uh, RED at radradio.com. She says, first off, I really love that this has become a daily show. Thank you to you both. I'm looking forward to hearing what you and Steve have to say all week leading up to the Super Bowl. And I wanted to ask if you were going to go over this year's prop bets, like color of the Gatorade bath. Will we see a shirtless Jason Kelsey? Along with the more typical ones, such as first team to score, will the first play from scrimmage be a run or a pass? We talked about this a little bit last week, Steve. You were covering it. Um, Sports Illustrated says prop bets started in 85. and But you were talking about there, there was a time, if I heard you correctly, where sports books, casinos could take certain prop bets now they can't, and it has to be like what's based on what's happening in the field. I'll know you'll explain it better than that. But you can make these prop bets, with, which are the fun bets, I guess, like with online gaming. Is that is that where people have to go? Well, a couple of several areas to go here. One, Gaming Commission determines what can and cannot be offered for these prop bets. The rule of thumb is, is it's something that needs to be determined on the field of play and not the Jason Kelsey will be shirtless, et cetera, uh, because these are you know, gaming commissions in the United States. Other places offer this online in foreign sports books, but keep in mind these sports books are not legal in the United States. So yes, 
There are many that do accept money, but understand it is not legal. And technically, the federal government could prosecute you for placing wagers in an illegal sports book. The illegal sports books are not monitored. If you have an issue and you have a complaint, look, I feel I was ripped off on this. Who are you going to go to? They, they don't have a brick and mortar. It's not like you can, you know, go to the casino and discuss it. Go to a gaming commission and discuss it in your state. You are taking your chances with the illegal sports books because they can do basically whatever they want, but because they're unregulated, they can offer these things. Yes, they're great. It would be nice, kind of, if we could offer such things like that, uh, but they're not realistic and you're not going to get them in us sports books. So, um, so how does it work like with bet MGM? Cause that's, that's cited in this story that I pulled from CBS sports where um, this guy, who's this guy, Josh Ewing, uh, who's the bet MGM spokesperson says that for the color of Gatorade, purple is currently favored. Are, do, are they taking those bets? Uh, if they are, that is news to me. Mm. Uh, and, and the problem with the Gatorade part that you look at is pretty much the Gatorades turned into the winning winning team's color for the yeah. most part, yeah. you, you know, because they've ha- now have so many different colors back in the day when you had what, like orange and grape and it, oh, man, what was the other one? You know, three or four flavors, fruit punch. Uh, it was more interesting, but now they have so many different flavors. And, and if I'm the 49ers, I'm dumping a red one on it as well. I'm not going with, you know, a grape with purple or something like that. Um, so I'm, I'm curious to see, but I'm not aware that they're able to offer that. I do know U.S. sports books used to offer, you know, fake wagers. You couldn't actually bet it, but they would put it up, you know, for the Academy Awards, Best Picture, Best Actor, Best Actress, you know, the various awards like that, but you were never actually able to wager on it so uh, that could and that could be what the bet mgm guy is talking about but as you said these prop bets which would have to be done at offshore sites anyways all of that is is illegal technically and uh, just something we want everybody to know but it looks like the most popular ones uh, of course uh, are things like the the the, the coin toss uh and uh the the national anthem i got a few of them here uh let's see the we got uh, the how long the national anthem will be, what song Usher performs first at the halftime show, uh, who will come out on the halftime show as a special guest. Apparently, Alicia Keys uh, is the long shot. Lil John is the favorite. Uh, lots of Taylor Swift stuff. Uh, what celebrities appear by her side in her private box, uh, et cetera, et cetera. So there, there's that kind of crap that's out there, uh, but uh, it's not the. But now, now, sports books can take prop bets like. I don't even know if this is considered a prop bet. Which wide receiver will have the most yards, things like that? Oh, absolutely, because those are determined on the field of play. And sportsbooks over the years have gotten a lot more um, a lot more creative in how to offer propositions. <laughs> you know, they're they're tying a lot of stuff to Travis Kelsey and Taylor Swift, <laughs> but it's much more they'll name it, you know, uh whatever you know the two last names are tied up and unfortunately i'm not big in social media uh but you know they'll offer these things and really it's the you know yardage of travis kelsey in the game so even though they call it and they try to say something at the end of the day the prop's really about 
you know, yardage here. Will he score a touchdown or various things like that? I got an example for that one. DraftKings is naming football-related props uh, after songs of Taylor Swift's. The today was a fairy tale bet. Let's fans bet on whether Swift's boyfriend, Kansas City Chiefs tight end Travis Kelsey, will score a game-winning touchdown for his team. But it's named after her song. Today was uh, a fairy tale. We'll take a break and be back right after this. Mix picks the mix pick sports show. The Mix Pick Sports Show. Got a hot take? Email us at rab at radradio.com. And we just got this one uh, from uh, Greg. We were talking about purple is the uh, is the favorite, according to BetMGM, to be the color of the Gatorade that gets poured on the winning coach. And uh, obviously, Greg uh, listens to both uh, this show and the, uh, the Rad Radio Morning Show. We've been talking on that show about all the conspiracy theories around uh, the Super Bowl being rigged. Uh, and one of them that doesn't involve Taylor Swift is that the, the logo for the Super Bowl was released uh, at the beginning of the year. It was designed two years ago. But people knew, people were convinced that because the colors of the Super Bowl uh, 58 logo were red and purple, that it was going to be the Niners and the Ravens. Well, that didn't work out. So I've been asking all week. I go, well, where are these conspiracy theorists now? And Greg just wrote in and said, you guys just made me realize the purple Gatorade is what the purple and red Super Bowl logo is all about. Clearly, purple will get splashed over a team with red, so they were safe with either other, either team. That's very good. Yes, these these kooks that sit around thinking they can figure out because the game has to be rigged, etc., uh, have have got to be twisting themselves in pretzels to try to uh, to try to explain all of this. Uh, one quick baseball note, Steve. Uh, Theo Epstein, best known for breaking the uh, Red Sox 80-year World Series drought and the Cubs 108-year World Series drought. Coming back to your Boston Red Sox, uh, he was their GM. He's returning as a Fenway Sports Group part owner and senior advisor who will advise the owners. So basically, boy, the GM of the Red Sox, had, what a terrible job. I mean, you're, you're going to do what Theo says. Either way, I would, I would assume, as a Red Sox fan, you like that. I'm happy to see Theo come home back to the Red Sox. You know, as you said, he is a part owner. He's going to be the advisor to the owner. But at the end of the day, all the baseball decisions are finalized by the owner, John Henry. Yes, Theo will be in his ear. Craig Breslow is their uh, vice president of baseball operations, I believe is what his title is. Um, I'm just happy that Theo's back with the Red Sox. Um, on uh, on Friday, uh, uh, I was texting back and forth with a variety of, of people uh, in the general uh, area, Northern California, Northern Nevada. Uh, and there were some really unhappy uh, Kings fans. Uh, and even, I mean, everybody on ESPN, when they were asked, biggest snubs of the All-Star game, everybody said the Kings in general, just the team, uh, because uh, how no one from the Kings made the All-Star game, uh, All-Star roster, backup roster. It's it's more than a little puzzling, if not like conspiratorial, where you know what's going on. I know that uh, Michael Wilbon on ESPN on Pardon the Interruption, he said, look, this is this is about screwing Sacramento. They're not a big market. Uh, De'Aaron Fox and uh, DeMontis Sabonis were left off. Mike Brown, the coach of the Kings, said he was stunned by the decision when asked if he was surprised. He said, because the NBA coaches are the ones that select the reserves. And Brown said, quote, you're talking about historic numbers. Not only that, we're the only top six team in both conferences do not have one all-star. It really baffles me. He was more publicly pissed than uh, Sabonis and Fox were. But Steve... I, I get it. It's a business, like you always say, and I know you texted me, you know, not a big enough market. I, I, but this to not 
have anybody. I that is that is a middle finger to, to the Kings. It, it, it is a shame because Sabonis, the numbers that he has put up this year are phenomenal. I mean, he's in. He's not quite Jokic, but he is up there. Points, rebounds, assists. I mean, he is doing everything. And to me, to not even really even be a consideration there. Darren Fox has had an outstanding year. I believe he's averaging over 25 points a game. Again, this Kings team isn't, you know, the middle of the pack to bottom of the pack. They're one of the best teams in the NBA and to not even get consideration again, to me just shows it goes to market, et cetera. And I wouldn't lose any sleep if I was a Kings fan, you know, these all-star games, et cetera, yeah, they're nice, but don't take them too seriously. If I'm right, isn't Doc Rivers uh, <laughs> coaching the oh, Eastern? Yeah. What? He's been with the Bucs for three games, and now he's the coach of the Eastern All-Star team. So, come on. Just think about that one a second and say, okay, this really isn't that serious of an event. It's much more for the media and the publicity. It's not the we want the actual best players it's the we want the most popular so we can maybe get some viewing. All true. And, and you know, the Kings were, were on their way last year to being the Detroit Lions of the NBA. Um, and, and I still think that would hold true if they if they were able to rally into the playoffs and, and go even uh, further this year. Now, the the, uh, the the Doc Brown thing, or Doc Rivers thing, sorry, uh, is funny because the Bucks have – as a result of, of Rivers winning his first game in Milwaukee, the East's best record among teams with coaches eligible for the All-Star duties. The Celtics have the East's best record, but uh, Joe Mazzulla coached the All-Star game last year, so he's ineligible this season. So the distinction goes to Doc Rivers. Uh, he and his whole staff uh, will be coaching the All-Stars. And he has said, you know, typical Doc Rivers class, he says he's going to give his All-Star ring and the bonus to former coach Adrian Griffin, who actually had the Bucks at 30-13 and 13 before he was fired. And replaced by Bucks. That is a laughable story. I mean, good for the good for the East. They get a great coach if you care. Yeah, it, it is. I, I'm actually glad to hear that Doc Rivers is going to pass the bonus and the the All Star ring on to the prior coach because it really was the prior coach who put the Bucks in that situation, even though he got fired. But uh, again, to <laughs> me, it just shows that it is an exhibition game. Yeah. Don't don't get that upset with it. You know, it's sad for the the Kings because you last year they had such a great finish to the season. They really started playing well. You would like to have believed that the Kings were more known throughout the country and a little bit more respected. But when you are a small market team like this, you know, it's tough to compete with the Lakers, the Clippers, the Nuggets continue to win. And and it's a shame, but it's not a surprise. The uh, the, the Kings um, are, uh, are they're on a two-game winning streak, and they got a game tonight. What do you got, Steve, when you look at uh, the Kings at Cleveland? Yeah, right now the Cavs are a four-and-a-half-point favorite here. The Kings should be healthy. The center for the Cavs, Allen, is questionable for this game. Cleveland has really played well. They've had a lot of injuries, so they haven't been healthy. But I believe they've won five straight games playing good basketball. This will be a tough challenge for the Kings. I'm hoping Allen plays because I'd like to see Sabonis have a little, you know, confrontation there in the middle. Uh, because Allen, I do like Allen as a center for the 
for the Cavaliers, but uh, and I'd like to see both teams be close to full strength matching up. We were talking last week about this Joel Embiid uh, injury. Uh, he's had issues with his knees. Uh, he was out for many games, and then he he hurt him again, hurt the knees again, but it wasn't related. They said, and then the 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 Seventy Sixers being so vague on Friday, and it sounded ominous, and nothing has changed other than we now know that he's undergoing a quote procedure to address a left meniscus injury. In the coming days, I mean, the, the vagarity of this announcement. Um, and the all the team said was the door isn't closed on a return this season, but he is expected to miss an extended period. These are all, like, thanks for no information, Sixers. They We, we do know they lost 10 out of 14 games without him so far. He's going to be gone for an extended period. They are 26-8 and eight with him, and the Sixers are fifth place. Now, none of this sounds good for Philadelphia. No, none of this is good. The Sixers are being very vague about it. My understanding is also they will release more details following this upcoming procedure, whenever it takes place. Early indications that I've seen him beads out until the beginning of April. So you're really talking a couple of weeks before the playoffs start at best case scenario, uh, depending on how severe it is. The Sixers team's going nowhere. They're, they're a lot of fun to watch, and Embiid had a great season. But if he's out for the remainder of the season, the Sixers aren't going anywhere. And last week, we we took some time to, to point out that the Lakers are not a good team, and then they went out and they beat the Celtics, and oh, now they beat the Knicks uh, over the weekend, snapping their nine-game winning streak. Lakers are 3-2 and two, uh, on their six-game road trip. They close out tonight against the Charlotte Hornets. They're, they they – I mean, a four and two road trip is good in the NBA. The Lakers are trying to make a lot of us go, oh, okay, maybe they are good. Yeah, they're 12, 12 and a half point favorite in tonight's game at the Hornets. Hornets have lost seven straight. They're not a good team. You know, Hornets are one of the worst teams in the NBA. Wouldn't it be something if the Lakers go on the road and get beat here? <laughs> I, 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 you know, hey, look, we're finally playing good basketball, but that's part of what the Lakers season is. Every time, look, they've righted the ship. They're now one of the best teams in the NBA. They start losing and they get back to below 500 and you just start shaking your head going, you know, what's wrong with the Lakers? So to me, I would love to see the Hornets <laughs> take them down a step again. Okay, everybody's getting back on that Laker bandwagon. Yep, right. Let's show them the real Lakers. That's 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 right. That's exactly right. The the when they they go they beat the Celtics, they beat the Knicks. Suddenly, all the Lakers jerseys come out of the closet, and then one of the worst teams in the NBA uh, beats them. Uh, we'll be back tomorrow morning at ten. We're getting closer and closer to the Super Bowl. I'll talk to you then, Steve. Thank you. Mix.